Now, there have been some very high-profile hacks in the news lately, and some of these have even been hacks of security vendors themselves, from Microsoft to FireEye, but perhaps one of the most disturbing was the recent SolarWinds hack that we are just starting to come to grips with. And if you are not familiar with the details of this attack, you need to be. Today, we're gonna to talk security, so buckle in. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Future Tech video podcast. The audio version of this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the others, or you can find it at futr.buzzsprout.com. Now the scope of the recent SolarWinds hack is massive, and the true depth of this attack is still being discovered. This is one of many disturbing recent security breaches. Businesses are being faced with trying to defend from a myriad of attacks that are growing more persistent and sophisticated every day. They are constantly trying to guard against everything from data exfiltration to ransomware attacks and the more insidious data manipulation attacks. But how do you do this if you can't trust the information that you are working with? Today we have with us Val Bercovici, founder and CEO of ChainKit a company that is working to build chains of custody to simplify trust in the world's information. And he's here to tell us how establishing chains of custody around data can help to identify and protect against attacks. Val is going to help us make sense of all of what's been going on. Welcome, Val. Great to be here, Chris. <laughs> well, thanks yes, for coming on. It, it, it's, a, it's a very... Um, we're having you on at a very auspicious time, I think. Yeah, you know, uh, may we live in interesting times. Here we are. We, well, we certainly live in very in interesting uh, security times. I mean, you know, beyond just what I mentioned about, you know, some of these, you know, like FireEye and, and Microsoft and, and SolarWinds attacks, um, we just recently had um, an insurrection uh, mm -hmm. attempt at, at the Capitol building. And, you know, all of that, chain of custody kind of information is kind of up for grabs as well. So I think, um, I think, like I said, this is an interesting time. I'm really glad uh, we were able to get you on uh, right now because uh, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting questions to be answered here. Yeah, so I before the timing we, as well. Yeah. So before we get totally into that, um, I kind of gave a little bit of a brief introduction of what ChainKit is. Can you just give me just kind of the, you know, the 50,000 foot overview of what uh, ChainKit is and what you do? As the name implies, we are a enabling technology to help customers, partners, organizations, public and private build chains of custody. But interestingly enough, the name can be applied multiple ways because those chains of custody can establish chains of trust between very heterogeneous systems. They can actually identify attack, cyber attack kill chains much earlier in the attack cycle than is available with conventional technology. And of course, there is a backend portion of this that, that, that relies on one or more abstracted blockchain technologies. So there's a number of ways to apply the, the chain kit term. But I think most acute here is looking at what's happening in the real world, such as a solar winds hack, and understanding how chains of custody can be applied both proactively and reactively to make things better. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> so you mentioned SolarWinds, so let's let's you know dig into that. I I mean, um, when I look at this attack, I mean the sophistication around this attack is really amazing, and uh, the complexity of this attack is is really quite amazing. Um, but one of the things that I think is particularly interesting about this is um, the fact that a, a portion of this attack was a supply chain attack. Yeah. Um, and to me, um, a product like what you guys have you know, could, could have really played out nicely in, in this scenario had everybody involved had, had chain kit. Um, so, so, so tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, what your perception of the solar winds attack is and, and, you know, where you think everything kind of went haywire there. Yeah. I mean, we can break it down in three stages, right? Okay. The first stage was the software supply chain integrity attack. Mm-hmm. The second stage is what people did with it once they had what's called not just the back door, but the God door into organizations. Yeah. 
And then Kevin Mandia yesterday, the CEO of FireEye on an Aspen Institute webcast, you know, made some really interesting comments. So some mm. late breaking news, FireEye themselves are working with 155 different organizations around the world that have been impacted by the second stage, not just the 18,000 impacted by the first stage. But he mentioned that there's a third stage to this attack, which is, you know, what if the second stage just starts the first stage all over again and amplifies it? So we can we can delve into that because this is a bit of a rabbit hole that is no longer theoretical. It's quite real and quite scary. But let's focus back on that first stage. Yeah. Easiest way to explain this to your grandmother is that the locksmith got broken into, right? <laughs> so so many people, four hundred thousand reportedly, you know, SolarWinds customers bought keys from this one locksmith. And the smartest attack possible is don't do a manual or even automated 400,000 stage attack when you can do them all in one stage. Yeah. So again, cyber adversaries are nothing if not very pragmatic. You know, Machiavellian is actually my favorite term. <laughs> so they said, you know, if we can compromise one of the main locksmiths of the entire industry, we have an advantage. So that's what they did. As they effectively, to the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. They literally went and compromised a locksmith, printed, copied the keys to every one of their customers, you know, 18,000 specifically, as we know so far. And then they opened the door to those 18,000 customers. And the question is now, how can you guarantee the integrity of the locksmith now, right? Mm -hmm. How do you know when the locksmith has been compromised? And that's a very open-ended question today. It doesn't have to be again, when you think about things like chain of custody is it's kind of important to put it in its place, if you will, to, to put it in its right category. So we'll get just a little bit technical here and pull me back if it's too technical. We see a lot of advances in machine learning and AI and cybersecurity. So in the science of machine learning, those are called probabilistic solutions. You have a lot of information, a lot of data that trains these algorithms, particularly attack data, you know, prior histories of, of how attacks happened. You train your, you know, pick your favorite vendor, you, you train their machine learning feature and extension, and it does a much better job of recognizing that pattern again, if it happens. Mm -hmm. And there's typically very high probabilities of if that pattern is seen again, typically in the order of 90% or higher, then that pattern will be automatically detected. Mm -hmm. But there's that still that 10%, and it's not a 10% risk, it's 100% risk, it's just there's a 10% window of things that an AI solution won't do. Right. So the old school way, of, you know, before machine learning and AI of doing this is something called a deterministic solution, literally zero or one, yes or no. Yeah. So Chainkit uh, at its heart fundamentally is first and foremost a deterministic solution. Meaning if you actually know when something, when a sore thumb sticks out in a supply chain, there's no guessing, there's no probability, there's no training and algorithm, it's just yes or no. And that's fundamentally the principle upon which we operate. Now being able to ask and answer that yes or no question has been really challenging in the past. Yeah. You know, um, and there's things like trip wires and there's a company named after that, but there's trip wires that you wanna set up to detect these things. And the trip wire technology hasn't kept up with cloud and streaming big data advances over the past couple of decades. That's the fundamental technical thing we've done is we've, we've introduced into the market what soon will not be an oxymoron. We have a streaming integrity technology that enables all of these magic benefits that we deliver. That's awesome. So, uh, so you mentioned you know, sort of three phases of this attack. Um, yes. and, and, the, and the supply chain one is really interesting to me uh, because, you know, I think that's a big, I think that's a big problem that people don't consider. And, and, and usually when we talk about supply chain, we think about like somebody, you know, tapping a chip in, in a motherboard or something like that. Um, but this another is just a real example. That's, yeah, that's another out there. So, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I know the government is, you know, is definitely very concerned about, you know, those particular types of issues too. But, you know, this is, um, this is sort of a, a, not a, you know, a logical kind of, um, version of that. And, um, and now that, you know, SAS is so big and cloud is so big, you know, this is the new reality in which we live in. Right. Um, so I, I think that aspect of it is, is really, uh, compelling um, but I, I do want to hear also about, you know, tell me about phase two and phase three. Absolutely. Um, and, and what you're seeing there. Exactly. So I personally consider phase two by far the most dangerous, just because pragmatically it's the actual real on the ground risk today that 18,000 plus organizations are actually carrying. So now, now that the locksmith has been compromised, these are not ordinary cat burglars. 
yes, they've used that compromised key to get into 18,000 front doors, or but they got in, the term being used quite appropriately is God doors, which means that when they got into these 18,000 front doors, they developed in the second stage of the attack, the ability to print new keys for every lock in the house. Mm -hmm. That's a profound statement that people have to sit back and absorb. So basically anything you're trying to protect in your organization right now, no longer has a key that you control. Yeah. And you don't even know, let's say you have 100,000 locks in your house. You don't know how many of those have been compromised. Could be one, could be 95,000 or anything in between really. And that's the problem right now. There are so many open-ended comments and even open-ended answers to questions people are legitimately asking. And because people don't have chains of custody in place for these apps and systems and data, they have to give these undefined vague answers, which is all you can credibly give. And my yeah. favorite is all the evidence we have so far indicates that no customer data has been compromised. That was <laughs> the first standard PR template that everyone used three weeks ago. And Out let's take on Microsoft. You know, Microsoft are big boys and girls. They can handle the heat. They've had to backtrack almost every week and say, oh, well, now we know that some customer data was compromised. Oh, now we know that some source code was compromised. Oh, now we know that some of our partners were compromised. These things come out in the process of an investigation uh, and an investigation collects forensic evidence and begins to analyze it. We have this really cool technology that people, again, have to wrap their brains around a little bit. We call it always on forensics. Mm -hmm. Given the fact that uh, I, I used to use it as a tagline, it's a reality today. Every network is a crime scene. You know, it's not just a concept. It's proving to be reality. If that's the case, pragmatically, and Mark Rosinovich, you know, CTO of, of, of uh, Azure at Microsoft, coined the term assume breach seven years ago. I would love to have a conversation with Mark today and say it's time to move past that term. We have to assume crime because that's yeah. just the reality. Let's just yeah. talk about ransomware before even SolarWinds last year, right? Yeah. We have to assume crime. And if you could have always on forensics, right? Why wouldn't you? Because you're dealing with it on a regular day-to-day -day basis now as a large organization. And so that's the second stage of what you really wanna be looking for is you have to be able to answer this question. You can't keep answering it vaguely over and over again. And unfortunately, there are some really good precedents that we can look at, which have some interesting consequences. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I was gonna say, you know, it, it um... It's 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 a really hard problem to solve. I mean, now that they've identified the problem, I mean, and well, I wouldn't say it completely identified because they don't know the scope still. Everybody still they know they got it. They got breached. But what's the scope? Right. So now nothing can be trusted. Yeah. Um, and to remediate it is a massive task because you can't shut your business down for a month and remediate a, a exactly. massive security issue like this. Nor can you go through and sort of bit by bit remediate this issue because as you're, you know, it's whack-a-mole at that point. And, and, and I've been in this situation in, in a large, um, you know, public companies and, and watching these things go down. And, and it's very hard task to, to, to get at that. Thing. And then, you know, you've got to go through and you've got to re-image all these machines and things like that. And that, that it becomes so cumbersome that you, it's just not even possible to, to do. Um, and, and clearly, if you had some way that you could validate the integrity of the system yeah. and you could say, well, that one's okay and move on, um, you, you'd have a much, much, much easier remediation task. Yeah, right? And, and whack-a-mole is the perfect analogy here because the way this works is you can forensically cleanse any image or any collection set of systems that you want. But to your point, you can't do it all in parallel, which mm -hmm. means that as soon as you cleanse one, you have no idea if the advanced persistent threat, the persistent yeah. part matters here, doesn't just replicate laterally, move back to your clean system again. So yeah. the precedent, unfortunately here, that I think is gonna happen and other experts have predicted the same over the past couple of weeks is uh, Sony Imageworks. So this mm. is seven years ago. Yeah. There was a Seth, Seth, Seth Rogen comedy, right? About Kim Jong-il yep. that Kim yeah. Jong-il yeah. didn't like. <laughs> nope. And so he issued successfully North Korean hackers to effectively eviscerate Sony Imageworks Network, the studio. Yeah, they did a number on them. And what Sony realized is in the process of the incident response and then the forensic investigation is they couldn't eradicate this persistent threat. No matter how mm. many systems they cleaned, they kept showing up from other systems. So they concluded after a couple of quarters and this is what a lot of federal agencies, the 10 identified, I predict, you know, maybe all of Capitol Hill right now, the potentially 155 or more private sector organizations that FireEye alone is working with, 
they're going to conclude that carrying that risk of not knowing how many locks have been compromised, where really important information sits, carrying that risk for more than a couple of quarters is actually more expensive than just replacing everything, which is what Sony ImageWorks did. Oh, so wow. every, every device on the network, you know, every router, every switch, every cable, every laptop, every server, right? Every, everything in between, they realized when you start with a perfectly clean second network, and then you forensically copy data over and watch everything you're copying to the second clean network, that's about the only way to get rid of or mitigate that risk properly. And yeah. that is, I call it the mother of all IT refreshes. It's coming up in the public sector and parts <laughs> of the private sector, now the Fortune 500. That's what's coming in 2021. Yeah, it's, uh, Sunish, just a note to you. Let's get the list of all the uh, companies that were breached. <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> There's some hardware sales, I think, there. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. If, you're a, yeah if you're a traditional <laughs> data center or even actually enterprise hardware person in, at HP, Dell, at Lenovo, you're, you're going to have a good year. And you call it, I just, I just want to make sure I have the technical term. You call it the mother of all refreshes? All IT refreshes, yeah. IT refreshes, all right. That's yeah. it. That's for 2021, new buzzword. Well, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's the old adage is, you know, if you want a secure network, um, get rid of all the users and then unplug all the machines. Right? Exactly. And I <laughs> want to include this link in here because, again, this is no longer hype, you know, a theory. Or it's not yeah. certain. It could have been hyperbole a month ago. It's, it, you know, it was a speculative, uh, a lot of experts speculated about this a couple of weeks ago. It's actually documented now. So mm -hmm. DHS has a cyber infrastructure security agency, CISA, Chris Krebs, mm -hmm. right? CISA Krebs used to work there. The other Krebs. The other Krebs. So CISA has done some wonderful work that might not be well known outside the public sector. They have published some very specific guidelines on what to do at a practitioner level in terms of how to identify the threat, how to contain it, how to try and ensure it doesn't happen again. But much more importantly, they've actually published something called a CISA Insight for organizational leaders. So mm. this is literally people, the CIOs, the CFOs that hold the budget, and they've told them, they've given them five actions, very straightforward actions. It's a one-pager. We'll, we'll share the link with everyone. But section 3B, no. everyone, you know, in those five okay. steps. <laughs> It'll be up here. Exactly. There you go, up there. <laughs> section 3B. <clears throat> says exactly this. It says, be prepared to replace everything that SolarWinds monitored, not just the server that hosted the SolarWinds service on, but everything it touched. And they said, this will be a long, complicated, and expensive exercise. Yeah. yeah. So in government terms, I don't think they can be more blunt than that. And, and yeah. again, that's where speculation now goes to reality, which is why I, I don't use the term too lightly. It is a mother of all IT refreshes for the impacted organizations. Yeah. yeah, that I mean that that is that is quite something. Because you know what, um, SolarWinds was a great tool, and it was it, it, it's pervasive. It, it, it will be. And they, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't <clears throat> victim shame them too much because they were that anybody. different from most software suppliers. Yeah, no, and, and and the thing is, anybody who thinks this couldn't happen to them is completely fooling themselves. So, completely fooling. So Val, would you say that based upon your conversations with the customers, like you're talking to? Let's just say that situation was to come to reality for a customer. How many customers are even ready for that uh, that situation, or even discussing that and prioritizing that from your perspective? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, and I'll kind of answer it with a litmus test kind of answer, which is, <laughs> you know, we've been talking about the concept of assume breach. If that's not the active budgeted strategy that a CISA was working with their CIO on for their organization, then they're not ready. But there's an actually even simpler one than that. You know, our world in terms of our first killer app is for securing the advanced stage two attack, the centralized focus of a stage two attack, which is covering your tracks. It's the log ultimately tracks the action of all these insider, you know, privileged access abuses. And if you can clean up the log, cover your tracks, you can continue to do what you did inside FireEye the premier organization in the world for forensic investigation for eight yeah. months, right? By covering their tracks surgically, I call it, these espionage agents were able to remain inside FireEye for eight months undetected until they tried one more thing and perhaps a little bit sloppy and they did you know, trip a wire, they tripped a 2FA wire and finally uh, someone was suspicious enough to look into it. But eight months prior to that, by just covering your tracks because you can, when you can print your keys as the administrator to any lock, like the log file lock, 
yeah. by covering your tracks, you're able to do this. So uh, that's, I think, you know, the way you want to, what you want to ask yourself is, A, as an organization, am I even keeping my logs? Shocking amount of organizations that even regularly in a regulatory context should don't and just accept yeah. a bigger risk to operate. That yeah. has to change. At the very least, Absolutely. even if they get tampered, keep logs, people, because you have nothing you know, to, to go back to and understand what happened if you don't have your logs. Uh, the, the CISA alerts now are recommending a minimum of 180 days. And Ooh. I actually questioned that, that number, that, that time frame, because we know these attacks go back actually about 16 months so far. I believe yeah. October of 2019 is when some of the first indicators in this tree, if you will, of, of vulnerabilities and exploits, the, the root of the tree seems to be around October of 2019. And that's still an open, you know, an open question. It could go further back than that. So I, I actually think organizations have to get wise because it's not expensive to keep a lot of logs if you're smart about it, right? We yeah. have compression, we have deduplication, we have cheap storage. So there's ways to keep logs without it being a huge cost sink. And again, people are going to realize the risk reward of keeping mm -hmm. a log now is, is clearly worth it. So do that. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that part of the problem too, for some organizations is um, some of them can, some of them will solve that keeping the logs problem, but they don't solve the, how to interpret the logs or, <laughs> or, exactly. or do anything with their logs problem, which is a whole nother issue altogether. Right. And let's learn from the past. So customers themselves, you know, the Pontymon Institute, many vendors, government agencies commission them for these nice broad surveys. They're not like surveys of 500 people. They're surveys of 1,500, 2,000 customers worldwide. And the figure that's come back over the past few years is how many false negatives did you not catch, which is how many cyber attacks got through your system, did the damage, you incident responded, you forensically investigated for typically two years, let's say for Equifax, and then you knew. Two years mm -hmm. later, you actually knew the number. It's 39%. Yeah. Hmm. So to your point, Chris, I think the very next thing to do is A, log, B, keep your logs, C, protect your logs. And well, and, and you know, the thing is, one of the things that I found, um, you know, working in large companies, you know, that were, were subject to constant attack, constant attacks, but, you know, you have to have somebody who understands the nature of the security breaches and understands at a very deep level, you know, can do deep packet inspection and see, oh, I see what's happening here. Yeah. And, and there's not a lot of those people and there's not enough of them for the whole, you know, country's, you know, enterprise. No, that, that's a, in fact, this is the interesting irony of what's going on right now. A lot of people, myself included, have speculated that the reason that there's only 155 that we know of yeah. 18,000 potential victims of stage two it's yeah. just a manpower problem, a you know, human resource problem, right? There aren't enough skilled hackers yeah. that the intelligence agency, the Russian intelligence agency, can deploy at any one time. Yeah. So that's, and well, then to your point, there's definitely not enough you know, skilled InfoSec professionals on the blue team side. But here's my favorite people right now because you can actually get the truth from these people. So you've got the Kevin Mitnicks of the world that used to be black hat hackers and are now on yeah. the white hat hacking side and so forth. You've got red teamers, right? Professional organizations like FireEye that you can hire on the red team side, their yeah. tools, or some of the tools compromise in stage three, which we'll talk about later. So, um, so the whole point is, you know, my favorite thing is you don't know, talk to a pen tester if you can't hire them. Uh, or maybe hire them part-time on a very consultative basis, but not to actually do the penetration test on you. Because they will just walk you through things that, quite frankly, aren't even documented. They'll yeah. walk you through the fact that as they hack through your network, and again, it's like you know, water finding a leak or something. Ultimately, it, it, they always get in. That's not, a, that's not an up for debate. But once they get in, they actually have to leave the log intact to get paid, to mm -hmm. prove what they did. And, <laughs> and ultimately, that's a professional courtesy when you're getting hacked. Because when you're actually getting hacked you know, by ransomware, which will still be the dominant threat this year, despite yeah. SolarWinds and the merging of the techniques is something to watch. But when you get hacked by ransomware, they don't do you that professional courtesy, right? Yeah. So they surgically wipe the logs until they want to extort you. And that time frame is used to be nine months. It's becoming shockingly short now. It's hours in some cases. And then they do what they do, right? They're, they're thugs. So they, they actually extort you. And, uh, well, and so that's the thing is you've you got to be able to know how they operate and you got to mitigate the real risks, not just the theoretical risks. Well, you, you mentioned ransomware, and we had a we had a security uh, professional on Dan, Daniel Nowak, and one of the things that he was talking about is that he was of the belief that um, the uh, many of these ransomware attacks 
are uh, smoke screens for other nefarious activity that's going on. And, you know, you can, you can delete a, delete a bunch of logs and, you know, issue a ransomware attack and everybody goes, oh, well, it was ransomware. So we don't have to look any deeper and all sorts of other things just happened. Right. Um, yeah. Fal false flags are a popular topic nowadays and, and, you know, they do happen and they certainly do happen in, you know, cyber incidents, whether they're network espionage or network attacks. And to your point, it all comes back to, can you prove what happened? Do you have what we like to call now a forensic time machine, meaning yeah. logs that you know where they've been tampered with and where they haven't. That's ultimately your security source of truth that you need to go back to and, and begin to unravel what happened. And as an executive, you finally start to get definitive closed answers to open in the questions around what's my risk now and how do I mitigate it? Because that's ultimately what the executives don't care about these bits and bytes. They shouldn't. They have other worries and concerns, but they need to mitigate this risk. It's a, it's a change in the risk landscape. And without the certainty, without deterministic answers, you know, closed answers to open any questions, they won't mitigate the risk and they'll carry that in terms of, you know, certainly liability, legal and otherwise, and yeah. insurance liability, which could be a vicious spiral very easily if we're not careful in 2021. Yeah, well, you know, um, I always used to say to people, you know, you got to invest in the security piece of it because if you have an outage and your, your stuff goes down, you, you lose a couple days, you know, revenue. But if you have a massive security breach, the implications of that could be existential for your company. You know, you, that could be the end of you, right? Um, yeah. So so focus on that. But, you know, the, the thing is, it's so expensive, it's so complex, and it's so confusing to executive leadership that mm -hmm. they just don't put the resources there. And I get, you know, the human side of me totally empathizes with that. When, yeah. when this, this can be an overwhelming set of, you know, issues to deal with for someone just coming back off of holiday vacation. <laughs> yes. And it's easy to just say, you know what, it's, it's so complicated. I'm just going to hope, literally, you know, that's the, the emotional internal response. I'm going to hope it doesn't happen to me and do a little bit of what I did last year, maybe throw another 15% of the security budget and, you know, hope for the best. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, um, you may be able to get away with that. You may not, but you might not be legally allowed to if you're a federal agency. And there might now be class action lawsuits, you know, well outside of SolarWinds, oh, so. stage yeah. two lawsuits. You know, Microsoft, unfortunately, even FireEye might be victim to that, where you're not going to have a choice but to mitigate that now. So, Yeah, and, and I think um, to some respect, the rhetoric from uh, security researchers doesn't always help either because, you know, we tell them, well, you got to spend all this money on security. You got to get everything locked down. You got to, you got to make that effort. But, you know, we can't prevent people from getting in. Ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> like, so what, we, what am I doing? <laughs> we just talked in the pre-show about something I want to bring up now, right? Yeah. So, um, Zoom, when they had their egregious security, you know, uh, vulnerabilities that they exposed their, their users to, hired Alex Stamos, famous former yes, CISO yes, over at Facebook, yeah. widely known, widely respected security Great consultant research, now. Yeah. So SolarWinds did something, I think, even a bit more clever in terms of you know, the PR side of responding to the coming class action lawsuits and so forth. Yeah. Uh, what my, most people don't know, because it's late breaking news, I personally found out only yesterday, is that uh, Chris Krebs, the famous CISA Krebs, the other Krebs, not, not Brian yeah. Krebs. Of Krebs not on Brian security. Krebs, not the blogger, but Chris Krebs, yeah. the former head of CISA. He partnered up with Alex Stamos. And I forget, wow. I think it's Krebs Stamos or Stamos Krebs, but that's the name of the consultancy now, which is brilliant. And uh -huh. that is who SolarWinds hired as consultants again to not ignore the recommendations their previous security consultant you know, has been reported to give them. And obviously to just get things right. And they're going to be, ironically, one of the most secure suppliers going forward you can have once they clean their act up. But in uh, the meantime, I guess there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a silver lining to every cloud, right? Poetic irony for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Okay. So I want to, before we run out of time here, I want to dig into in the number three, phase three here. Um, Again, tell so me about that. Let's not scare people, but... <laughs> no, when scare you, when, Go ahead. <laughs> when you hire Chris and when you hire Alex, they're smart. So here's what they're going to, I can predict what they're going to tell you. I, I follow them widely, you know. Yeah. And so I'm a disciple of theirs. Let's put it that way. And so yeah. um, they're going to tell you, you know, yes, the sky might be falling with stage three, but, you know, there's only one sky in one part of the globe at any given time. <laughs> so don't try and solve everyone's problem with stage three because it's a big problem. Solve your problem, your risk with stage three, right? Yeah. So work with proper threat intelligence, you know, providers, work with people like us, you know, Alex and Chris and others, chain kit staff as experts at this, at modeling your actual risk. So your vertical industry, your geography, your supply chain, your customers, 
get as specific as you can, but here's the real risk in stage three. Is what well, first, before out, you go there, can you, could you just uh, clarify what stage three is? Stage three is starting it all over again. So now you've gotten to the first locksmith, mm-hmm. SolarWinds. You got keys to 18,000 customers so far, and you're in 18,000 customers' houses. You've begun printing keys to at least 155 of every lock in those other houses. Right? At least. At least that we know of, right? Open-ended, unfortunately, right now without chains of custody. What if... One of those 155 is Microsoft, which it is, by the way. That's not a what if, that's a known. Yeah. Right? They're another locksmith, and they're a bigger locksmith. They're actually the biggest locksmith in the world here, right? Yeah. In the known no universe. Doubt. Yeah. And so what's, what is, what's happening in FireEye, unfortunately, is another one of those, and Intel and NVIDIA and Cisco have all been on record as being one of those 155. So you're basically now starting this cycle and amplifying it. You now have compromised a bigger locksmith with more customers and more houses to get into for a new stage one. So stage three is nothing more than stage one bigger. And bigger means stage two now is bigger and and more costly and riskier. So that's the scary part is don't be overwhelmed by the threat and the general risk. Being overwhelmed is just a great way of admitting defeat. Be smart, right? Understand that there are a human there are human limitations to the damage here. Yeah. We still have the attacker, the adversary, limited by the amount of very required skilled technical resources to be able to execute the stage two here, the real damaging part. So yes, stage three is a massive risk. Yes, we have to acknowledge it. We can't ignore it. Yes, yeah. we have to start to put systemic solutions in place, foundational solutions in place. And then yes, you know, we have to, you know, case by case organization by organization have to begin to actually mitigate the specific risks those organizations face. Yeah. Well, it, it is really quite amazing what a um, motivated state actor can achieve. And I think this just goes, I mean, cause look at who was breached. I mean, between Microsoft and FireEye. So, I mean, like these are companies that genuinely know better, not to mention the federal government. And- CISA, CISA was breached. The Pentagon was breached. The NSA was brief. Yeah. Yeah. Which for a long time too, it's not just, it's been, it's been an ongoing threat. And I, I, and I mean, it just goes to show you that it can happen to anybody. Um, and that's and, it, and it, it probably has happened anything. to you. You can't ignore it anymore. So the whole point, again, you, you don't want a pendulum swing from ignorance to panic, hire professionals to find out where your balance is. Uh, but again, the, the lawsuits are coming. The customer demands. We now have obviously a, a new kind of a Congress and executive, executive in charge of the U.S. government in a week or two. So regulations will change. That's pretty pretty certain. Well, now. Hopefully, at the very least, we'll have people in the positions that are responsible for this, which we don't now. We that's didn't true. when this that's breach true. happened. So that's yeah, kind of a there, problem. There'll be even even more sort of professionals that have gone through the, the actual approval, congressional, you know, Senate approval process yeah. and so forth that are more vetted. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm actually optimistic that we're talking about this yeah. because, you know, we, uh, at chain kit, we're just about three years old now. You know, we just celebrated our birthday and we had an early customer in 2018 ask us to model this. Now they were in the automotive industry. I can't say more than that, but they understood OTA updates have some real consequences when they're tampered with. Right. Because I think I can. Ch- I think I can identify the customer just by the <laughs> level of sophistication of the conversation. <laughs> it would surprise you. I don't think it's one of the ones that talks about this very often. Okay, but it yeah, is, you know, it is a very viable automotive firm. Okay. And, and nevertheless, they they understood the risk there because it was literally life or death to their buying customers and, and their brand reputation. Yeah, no doubt. So um, yeah, so they they modeled this for us, and we basically modeled stage one for them, and then we realized. When stage one is compromised, stage two is inevitable. And actually, we built, we've really built our business mostly today around stage two, yeah. which is, you know, what's everyone being asked to do right now? Investigate what happened. And then once we understand that, how do we prevent it from happening again? And that's fundamentally where the always-on forensics applied reactively and traditionally in terms of incident response and forensics today but then the part that we need to educate the market on, and I, I really am grateful for this opportunity to do that here, is you can apply these exact same technologies proactively. Forget the swim lane you think forensics or even compliance really lies in. You can yeah. apply these for threat detection and threat hunting 
just like you do your EDR and XDR solutions today. And yeah. that's, that's the real change I hope to really Im- make an impact on in the industry this year is realizing that we have to break these boundaries. It's a cliche thing to say, but we have to, to mitigate this very dangerous new risk. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. now that we've kind of, we're, we're kind of talking about uh, ChainKit right now, you know, tell, tell me a little bit more about what you, what you guys do. I mean, like you guys kind of have a little bit of a unique value proposition within the market. Tell me what it is and, and how it all works. Yeah, so people understand. The thing that's interesting is we start with first principles. About the simplest way to define the entire cybersecurity industry is to use not central intelligence agency, but the CIA triad, which as you know, most experienced people in the industry know stands for confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, confidentiality, which really translates to encryption and good identity and privileged access management and data loss prevention, preventing people from seeing things they shouldn't see, that is the best served corner of the triad. Thousands upon thousands in the eye charts of cybersecurity vendors that we see serve the confidentiality requirement. And the bulk of cybersecurity infosec strategies at customers is also centered around confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of the problem. Availability is you know, copies of your data. So if someone you know, does a denial of service attack on one, one of your cloud regions, if you're smart enough to have your data copied to the other cloud region or the other cloud, then you've got a good availability strategy in place and your data is available. Both of those technologies, encryption and so forth, password management have kept up with cloud, right? Okta mm-hmm. for identity management is wonderful. CyberArk for privileged access management is wonderful. Encryption over the wire works very well. Mm-hmm. Availability, duh. You know, cloud is an ideal place to have data availability. However, integrity is not, right? Yeah. So I love Tripwire, the tool. I love Tripwire, the company. But that core static file integrity monitoring technology has remained over the past three decades static file integrity. Our world today is live, dynamic streaming data. <laughs> the, just the latest AWS Kinesis outage right before Black Friday again showed that when the streaming service goes down, it takes down dozens of other internal Amazon services, which in yeah, turn no take down all their customers. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the today data is a stream. Netflix is a perfect, you know, uh, lay, lay person's example of that. And if you don't have streaming integrity, you are missing a third, uh, the third pillar of cybersecurity. So even academically and theoretically, you can explain a lot of our problems today by the fact that the term is compensating controls. We literally overcompensate, you know, with, with diminishing returns, the lack of integrity, streaming integrity with more confidentiality and more availability. And we've yeah. seen empirically now that doesn't work. It's actually a cost sink. It's a lot of it is manual. So it's a lot of toil on your staff that they don't like. And yeah. it's not effective. It's not clearly as this incident proved is not mitigating the real risk. Well, and and I'll tell you from having worked in you know security firms and 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 having to d- deal with a lot of compensating controls, they are actually counterproductive. Compensating com- controls can open up security problems that you didn't have before. Um, complexity, so I'm with you on that. Yeah, complexity, complexity is business is the, risk, and, and complexity is mission critical risk in cybersecurity. So that's an no doubt. Point. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, so so tell me about like some of your key use cases. I mean, we kind of touched on on some of them. You know, tell, tell me a little bit more about. Uh, again, I, I want to stay as pragmatic as, as we can, particularly for those that want some guidance around how to mitigate solar winds. So in the CISA alert for practitioners, not for organizational leaders, it's a much longer document and it gets updated almost every other day now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But and we'll, we'll share the links to that because fortunately, they're not just publishing 20 documents. It's one they keep updating. So it's one yeah. link. Yeah, that's but good. within that link, they've done a great job now because week on week, They've just added a lot of meat to that document to what to do. And it's, it's laid out in black and white what you need to do. But one of the, the key things they talk about there is, yes, keep logs for a minimum. A, keep logs. <laughs> B, keep them for a minimum of 180 days and protect them. Because that's the central point of attack that was exploited before and it continues to be exploited. But they've listed, I think, 20 or 30 references to this amazing research published by an organization called Volexity. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that have traced this back to October 2019 and counting backwards still. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dark Mole, I think, was there. So many names for these attackers. Dark Mole, yeah. I think, is one of their names. I'll send you the link to that. But they're very crystal clear there that they're basically saying, we will never know the true depth of this because the yeah. attackers surgically wipe logs. And obviously, if you can't mitigate that, you're always going to have open-ended answers to these open-ended questions. So our you know, very passionate advice to everyone is follow the CISA guidance, 
to the letter, <laughs> to the letter, because it's very good, it's very explicit, so there's not a lot of, of open-ended questions, and understand the risk here, right? Work with your pen testing colleagues, your red team, your purple team colleagues, work with FireEye, work with professionals, you know, the Microsoft security team, et cetera, and understand the full risk here because a partial mitigation to this is pretty much no mitigation at all. So understand yeah. the full risk and understand in our killer app is just this, you know, the, the easiest thing to start with a chain kit is it's a five minute process and a 15 minute time to value is just go to Splunk and have your app store experience. Download the app, install it on Splunk, walk through a simple wizard to configure your first chain of custody, your first two links in a chain of custody for your most important log sources. Maybe it's gonna be your, your um, identity management one, right? Because that's mm -hmm. when it's the privileged access that you're logging. And it's the, basically the second stage of cat burglars printing their own keys inside your house for your <laughs> custom locks now. You really want to know that, and and they don't want you to know that. So that's one of the first things they cover up as as they're doing it. So yeah. you know, get some of those vital log sources inside a chain of custody in your log analytics solution. It might be Splunk, it might be Elasticsearch, it might be QRadar from IBM, it might be the Microsoft Sentinel one, which makes a lot of sense for Treasury Department and Commerce Department and the other Office three sixty five customers today. But really understand what's happening there, because that's the foundation of the problem. Yeah. And then build out more and more, you know, it's an open API and it's very scriptable in PowerShell. You can just use it from an Excel macro, quite frankly, and just build out, you know, more of your chains of custody. It's back to modeling your risk, not everybody's risk and be overwhelmed. Model and define and then actually wrap a chain of custody around your risk. And all of a sudden you'll begin to bit by bit get to those really comforting and reassuring definitive answers to these open-ended questions. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to also talk a little bit about the chain part of chain kit. Yes. I mean, certainly we talk about chain of custody, but there's another aspect of chain in as in blockchain uh, yeah. that that plays in here. So, could you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. And you know, as we talk about it today, you see headlines of Bitcoin being forty thousand dollars. Please ignore those, right? That's <laughs> this is not a cryptocurrency play. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, those are speculative investments, right? And, and they're completely outside the scope of this discussion because we actually don't use blockchains because blockchains have wallets and payment and settlement mechanisms. Right. We use distributed ledgers. Yeah. That's the underlying cool part, the integrity part. What, what, one of the reasons why you trust, you know, I think the crypto market's over a trillion dollars, you know, as of yeah. the inflation lately. Crazy. The, the Bitcoin network, right? So I don't care about the wallets on the network. I care about the integrity of the network itself. That's been attacked, you know, every millisecond, 24-7 for 12 years and hasn't gone down. Yeah. The exchanges around the network get hacked all day long. Crimes yeah, those, some of those long. are quite dodgy. Right. But I, the, think, I think the majority of I, uh, ICOs were uh, scams. They were, 90-odd yeah. percent. You know, the ICC yeah. has done a really good job of chasing those down. <laughs> Phenomenal job. And, and yet, you know, the brand reputation lingers as being scams, and that's fine. But, you know, when you look at the integrity of these key networks, they haven't been compromised. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that's what we love at Chainkit, <clears throat> which is we fully expect to be hacked. You know, there's a risk we might not be in business five years from now. These are all mm -hmm. things we have to acknowledge. Yeah. But the kind of attestation we deliver in our streaming integrity, when we say objectively provable, it's just that. It doesn't depend on any one organization. It doesn't depend on any one technology. It doesn't depend on any one network. Mm -hmm. It's literally decentralized. Yeah. So that when you do the streaming integrity and you're attesting to the integrity of your log streams or your Netflix video stream or anything, and you want to detect just that one frame that, you know, you want to investigate in real time or one log line that you want to investigate in real time. That's, you know, the uh, God backdoor being abused by an administrator <laughs> printing their own keys and doing nasty things inside your network. That's objectively provable throughout its life cycle, which means that the moment that happens, it's thousands of nodes across the world with separate administrative domains of control, each one of those thousands, that's attesting in a consensus algorithm to the integrity of that thing. You can now share that evidence, particularly on the investigation side, the FBI, the Secret Service that we work with and others, love the fact that for the first time, they can now share evidence with other agencies for investigation because they know if the evidence gets tampered. They know yeah. if the investigation gets tampered or not objectively throughout the entire life cycle. So actually, you don't have to show up at a data center anymore. We enable the remote collection of forensic evidence. That's, a, oh, that's nice. another oxymoron that we yeah. enable now. We obviously do the streaming integrity. We enable the collaboration 
of multiple agencies, Interpol, you know, anywhere you have an agreement, you can literally put this on Dropbox now. And yes, you want to protect it with a password. And yes, you want to encrypt all that. However, yeah. now you know that if you share it with Saudi Arabia, they're not going to be able to tamper with that investigation and you can depend on their conclusions because you can check at any time whether it's been tampered with. And the last thing is when a prosecutor, maybe outside the U.S., you know, in, in Brussels or Geneva or somewhere, you never know, in a United Nations court of law, when they bring up this case and they bring up this digital evidence as the investigator or law enforcement officer, you don't have to travel to that court. You don't have to swear to the integrity of that data that you collected or the fact that it wasn't tampered with for the past three years, which is an impossible claim to make anyway. It's all objectively provable right to the end. Yeah. So it's a sea I, change in this, in this environment. I, I think it's, it's, it's really something to be have uh, remotely collect evidence via Dropbox that would still remain admissible in court. That's uh, this is why, you know, we, we didn't know, we didn't know some of our, uh, our fans in the Secret Service, for example, and, and this is just to be clear, there's the very heroic people that protect the president and the president-elect and the vice president. This is the old school treasury, uh, or the Treasury Department version of the Secret Service. Yeah. These are people that were created to protect the U.S. dollar and the yeah. integrity of the U.S. dollar against fraud, which is now cyber fraud by and large today. So that, those are the people we work with, just to not confuse people about current events. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm so excited that we found a, a, a good use for distributed ledger that isn't some shady cryptocurrency. I was going to say, I want to be the most boring application of blockchain ever, the least hyped blockchain ever, because there's no crypto element to it. So, so, so Val, tell me what's what's next with Chainkit. I mean, you're building an organization. What, what What's next for you guys? It's, it's the, the, I like to say the roller coaster of the startup journey, right? It's very much, you know, certainly a financial roller coaster. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's a technology discovery, a customer discovery roller coaster. So what we're doing is we're just riding the coaster and we're growing. We're seeing now that the market was really coming to us with ransomware. The fact that NIST did such a good job in 2020 of giving you foundational systemic solutions, not just detect the last attack but actually detect any possible ransomware attack yeah. with a, a reference architecture. So please, you, know, you don't even need a link to this. You Google NIST data security and that page comes right up, <laughs> but it's actually a ransomware page. So working with NIST has been a big part of what we're doing and continue to invest in, in out of the box solutions for all parts of that reference architecture. So not just the log analytics, but all the backup vendors you know, all the network solutions and all the main apps and, and data and systems. You know, ultimately, it was Dave Kennedy, I think, from Trusted Security, who's a very respected security researcher that said that we need, we need full runtime app integrity, which is continuous checking of the app's integrity to mitigate this SolarWinds second stage risk and third yeah. stage risk fully. That is a lofty goal. It's a goal that we enable right now. It's just yeah. that our customers and the ecosystem isn't really ready to implement it. But that, yeah. that, when we say simplify trust in the world's information, it has to come to that. You've got to be able to dynamically at runtime prove the integrity of all the data, all the networks, and all the apps that touch the data in our pipelines today. So that's our long-term goal. And step-by-step, step, you know, step-ladder approach, we're gonna, you're going to see more of these log analytics and security ecosystem added to us. Uh, in terms of out-of-the-box support, you're going to see us invest in an open-source ecosystem with developer relations, the community, and so forth, so that it's easier for people to do, you know, what Chris Krebs and Alex Stamos will recommend, which is don't solve everyone's problem, solve your problem, mitigate your risk with your chains of custody. Yeah. You know, we're never going to have all the connectors customers want, so they and their partners, their systems integration partners, should have a platform to apply that for, for the custom requirements. And then, you know, there's big markets like Snowflake. So everybody wants mm -hmm. now all the S3 and Kafka data sources into <laughs> Snowflake, they want to make sure there's no tampering in that first stage. And then all the Tableau dashboards, all the Power BI and Looker dashboards. It's, it would be nice for executives to actually trust what dashboards are telling them right now. The inconvenient truth is they can't trust a thing their dashboards are telling them right now because there's no way to have detected what the Russian intelligence agents proved was possible, which is you can not just read someone's email surreptitiously, you can completely impersonate 100% their identity and send malicious emails well inside all of your anti-phishing rules and get away with it. Well, so, and not only that, but manipulate the data in ways that 
lead to unfortunate outcomes. Absolutely, in, in undetected ways. So this insider yeah. risk, this privileged, if you will, God door insider risk, uh, we have to begin to mitigate it now. Let's not try and boil the ocean, but you know, step by step, it's possible. So Val, um, you've had a great track record there in the Valley. You know, you are very w- well known. Um, so congratulations on all of that. Now that you're starting ChainKit, um, one of the things that we're always looking for is the culture of these companies, right? We feel like culture is the unfair advantage that a startup can have. And so can you just speak a little bit of, you know, what have you learned about culture and, you know, how are you going to approach that with ChainKit? I love that question. And I, I'm, I'm so privileged because I had, unbeknownst to me at the time, but now in hindsight, clearly one of the best mentors in the world for that 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 situation. And again, that's proven. Dan Wormanoven was the main CEO during NetApp's, you know, great golden years, a growth phase. Yeah. Literally, I think he came in when the company was at 50 million in revenue and retired when it was at 5 billion. So quite a run. Yeah. And that was actually over a fairly short period of time. It was about 10 years. It wasn't, you know, forever. Right. And the thing about him, and you could see, you know, he just had such amazing human qualities. He literally baked culture into the business plan, into the day-to-day operations of the company. It wasn't taken for granted. It wasn't just, you know, these, these things you put on a poster and just never read, all these claims or requirements. It was literally values you live by day-to-day. And yeah. it was basic things like trust. You know, if you don't trust your coworker, if you don't trust your leadership, there's always going to be, especially to startup, so many stressful situations, so much information flying back and forth and passing each other in the night that you're just not going to know everything you need to know at the right time. If you don't trust your coworker, if you don't trust your leadership, if you don't give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, as shareholders in the company, we're all trying to make ourselves richer. We're all trying to grow the valuation, even if it seems like we just did something really stupid this afternoon. Right? If you don't give people that benefit of the doubt, it's going to be really hard, I think, to have a successful you know, startup. And this is where most startups fail. We talked about yeah. this in the pre-show. It's not the tech, not even the marketing. You could have the best salespeople, best marketing, best tech in the world. If you've got a corrupt culture of mistrust, and there have been funny you know, memes about this, like old org charts with like guns pointing you know, at each other <laughs> from different departments. Yeah. If you've got that kind of culture, you're unfortunately, you know, we'll never hear about you because you probably won't really make it that far and you'll be doomed to failure. So culture is key. Dan set the model. Again, there are legends in the industry, particularly if you know the enterprise storage space. Yeah. Uh, Tom Mendoza was another yeah. one, literally wore his heart on his sleeve. Also at NetApp. Yeah. Also at NetApp. Uh, we're very fortunate, and we have Laura Pickering. So they're chief of staff yeah. that really implemented all of these cultural sort of directives. She now works with us, right? She's actually oh, our, our chief revenue officer. So she is one of our key leaders in the organization. I couldn't be happier and more grateful. Yeah, she's to her. awesome. She's awesome. Right. So, uh, and this is how we've decided. You know, that as an at an early stage, your only currency is not money, it's commission, it's equity, and we actually haven't recruited at all. We've grown to over about twenty people, about twenty five counting part time staff, all contract right, and uh, for now. And most importantly, just because they've reached out to us, they've known us, mm-hmm. they trust us. They, you know, once they understand the situation that we've described today, they see the opportunity, they believe in the mission. And that ultimately is what makes successful startups is when people really opt in, you don't have to convince them too hard. And they're all believing in the mission and we're never going to row in the same direction when it's so chaotic at a startup, but we don't row in the opposite direction. (laughs) Then, uh, then that's, that's, that's the culture the soft skills part that's essential to successful startup. Yeah. And you, you, you've chosen a really great model because there was an absolutely magical culture at NetApp (laughs) in the early days for sure. Yeah. And and I love this. This is empirically proven. So it's one thing for us to believe our own hype when we were at NetApp and say it was a great place to work. The very first, is it Fortune? I forget the actual magazine that publishes the great place to work list. Mm-hmm. The very first set of lists they published a few years, NetApp was at the top. Right. Yeah. NetApp actually helped make that whole process you know, much more visible in every company after NetApp. Because we like to joke, this was in the era when the, the perks at Google were not just the Japanese toilets and amazing sushi in the cafeteria and stuff like that. I mean, this wasn't a joke. Your pets could get a massage from a licensed pet massage therapist paid for by Google. So the perks were off the charts and we yeah. still beat Google in those early years because that doesn't matter when the culture, you know, is so core to the company. The perks are great. 
Don't get yeah. me wrong. But yeah. That's not us right now. So. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, there, you hit on another topic that I think is super important is, uh, and I hope that for the younger folks that are coming into that in technology business is develop a great network, you know, and uh, don't always think of your, you know, you have a, you have a goal this year, you have these accounts or what it might be, but you know, this, your career is a marathon, you know, you're just getting started. You're, you're on the third or fourth, you know, mile, right? It's a long path and long journey. If you, you know, your director of sales, Christy and I used to work together at NetApp, you know, I mean, now, you know, what is it over 18, 19 years ago, you know, and it was the culture that we had at that time where now I have the comfort that I can reach out to so many ex NetApp guys. And it's exactly. just going to be, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to reminisce about all those amazing times and there's trust there and now you have your network working for you you know and that's Shank that's awesome we're living in the halo of that alumni network literally i mean that's that's the company not entirely but but a lot of the company is just that today that's awesome that's, well that's yeah. awesome yeah i yeah you know val i i'm so glad that we got a chance to reconnect i was just a young buck when i you didn't know who i was i everyone knew you i had less gray hair too i was younger <laughs> too so, <yeah. laughs> you know the time is now you, you can never hope for market timing like this and especially you know driven by some negative influences but we are where we are yeah and yeah. It's, it's really up to no. us to just you know help help you know serve the mission of our customers on the public sector side certainly help the businesses on the private sector side because the the risk is there and the solutions are available absolutely yeah, nothing, nothing like being in the right place at the right time huh and you know even exactly. as a uh, you know chris and i talk about this is just as you know as americans you know this is important that we fi we figure this out you know, you know, our, our country is being attacked in, in very different ways and the game has changed. And so uh, I hope that, you know, we might have a small part to play, but it's exciting that maybe we can help a customer, you know, avoid these situations or at least minimize the impact, you know? Yeah, I, that's a great point. You know, I'm Canadian by, by nature, but, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, trans border, if you will. And uh, I, I work and live on both sides and, and it just pains me that, you know, my Pentagon, my defense department, you know, has been compromised, you know, yeah. tax records is a whole other discussion and everything. And, and I, I don't want, right. I mean, I fly every day. I drive every day. I expect to go into my office or go into a restaurant sometime soon in the future. I expect my vaccines to get distributed. I need a functional government for that. That's right. <laughs> I want my yeah. life back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. Yeah. We all want our lives back. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, that's why that's my, that's honestly, that's my real motivation. Obviously I want to make money, but it, it comes back to, you know, the, the Maslowian, you know, requirements, hierarchy <laughs> of needs. If, if I can't, you know, Absolutely. live and function, it doesn't matter really, you know, whether I can afford to pay someone. Yeah, well, I can amen. get behind that mission. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and, and Val, I got to say, just, you know, thanks so much for coming on. Again, the timing is perfect to have you on. I really appreciate you coming on and, and, you know, really uh, sharing some knowledge about, this particular attack and sort of the nature of, you know, many security attacks. So thanks so much for being on. Really Not only was it. it my pleasure, I just really enjoyed both of you as hosts because again, you teased out, I think, uh, on a very, you know, broad set of topics, the key <laughs> things that we should all be focusing on right now. Oh, Before you. we let you go though, I, I, I know you had some uh, special offers and things like that out there. So I wanted to maybe give you a chance to talk about some chain kit stuff. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's two simple things. One is we have a, a sort of an introductory white paper aimed at a lot of the actual influencers and security architects in these organizations. So mm -hmm. something uh, where we're coining a new industry term with the analysts. We're familiar with extended detection and response, the X, or zero trust extended, the X again. Yeah. So we've looked at file integrity monitoring and said in the 21st century, we need so much more than static file monitoring. So of course we called it X extended integrity monitoring. Sure. And so feel free to read that white paper to just get a core I'll, understanding. I'll put a link for that. We'll put up a link. Yeah, no, so uh, we, we have on our site the av availability for registered partners and we'll create a special code that we'll add to this podcast afterwards for the listeners and the audience of this podcast so that we can raise it from a 14 to a 30 day free evaluation, not just of the core platform, but also of the, as we like to say, apps, the killer apps for Splunk, for Elastic and others on that platform. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, I appreciate you being on. Thanks for, uh, you know, the knowledge dump. And we really, uh, really appreciate having you and look forward to watching you guys, you know, grow. Mm -hmm. 
there there will be more chapters to this story and uh, I look forward to coming back on and discussing them, you know, hopefully showing things getting better, not the risk expanding, but contracting. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, you're welcome back anytime. I look forward Thanks. to it. Thanks, right, Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for watching. If you like what you saw, please click on that like button. Hit that subscribe button because that helps a ton for the channel. And if you want to get notified when we post new content, click on that bell icon and you will get those notifications. And I will see you in the next video.